0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the next episode of the Culture Eats Everything podcast. Today I spoke with a tremendously humble leader in David Guth, the CEO of Centerstone out of Nashville. And they operate in multiple states now, which is amazing because they started as one state and just a few million dollars and now they're in multiple states, 170 locations and several hundred million dollars in revenue. And they're delivering care that changes people's lives and doing it in ways that are unbelievably innovative and thoughtful and focused on really providing care for those who need it the most. He talks about what it means to have smart people on your team and that that's okay. It provides a great opportunity for coaching to learn from each other and not to pretend like we have all the right answers. He shares his thoughts on organizations really being organisms that we as leaders need to nurture and make sure that they are healthy just like any other organism. And he shares not one, not two, but six book recommendations, one of which I'll mention now, Utopia for Realists. So thanks for joining us today. All right, David Guth, thank you for joining me. just for quick context, you know, you told me before you're you got about four or five thousand employees. If you include contractors in there, across multiple states, you serve about 170,000 people, 170,000 people per year, which is just just amazing. Um, so, would love to hear about you know Centerstone and, and why you do what you do, why you're uh, the CEO, and why you've built this amazing organization, and then maybe take us into you know, when do you feel most alive? When, when do you really feel like you're fully uh, utilized and living the life that you want to live?
1: Well, well, good morning, Tom, and, and thank you for having me on this podcast. Uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for, for you, and I really appreciate that you've invited me to do this. Um, so, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, building this, this organization, and, it, it, you know, organization is what it is. It's an organism. And, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't built Centerstone, um, mm-hmm. by the way, thank you for calling it Centerstone and not Cornerstone. Appreciate mm-hmm. that. Just to give you a little nod. Yeah, um,
0: listeners out there, my former life was with Cornerstone. So <laughs> it'll probably come out at some point today. Dude. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, no worries. No worries. But thank you. Uh, you know, uh, so, um, you know, we are, we're made up of, uh, you know, just uh, so many human beings and like any organism, uh, you know, I do think about Centerstone as a living, breathing thing, not a corporate structure, not lines of report, you know, uh, not a balance sheet, but it's, it's a living, breathing organism that I feel personally very connected to. And I, and I feel like we have quite a few folks at Centerstone that feel that way, um, you know, like any organism. Um, you you achieve your goals when the organism is healthy. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to achieve anything if the organism is unhealthy. And I think, like any organism, there are times when we are more or less healthy. And so the times that I'm most alive to get to your your question is, you know, when everything is clicking. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're accomplishing everything that we are setting out to do, but when you know the team, the people that I encounter are are really working well together, and um, you know very aligned on what they're trying to accomplish. And not saying that they're not hitting roadblocks and barriers, but they're they are when when everything's clicking, it's kind of magical, right? And uh, so during those times, and I'll tell you, you know, we're we're obviously all very COVID minded right now. Um, when we made the transition with the onset of COVID, I will tell you that things were clicking for us, despite the fact that it was, in many ways, the most frightening and horrific times that that most of us could recall. Um, but, you know, it brought everybody together. There was this common challenge. There was this... Um, You know, just this unprecedented thing that we were all in uncharted territory, and we just kind of, at every level in the organization, kind of pulled together, shoulder to shoulder. Um, I started calling staff uh, randomly um, as we went into that middle of week of March. We had moved thirty-five hundred of our folks in a week's time to work at home. Uh, We had moved most of our ambulatory care to virtual. We were desperately trying to make do for our residential uh, and inpatient staff with the PPE that we could beg, borrow, scrounge, or have somebody (laughs) make from home. You know, we were doing all that, but the reality was we were all banding together. We were putting each other and our patients first. You know, everybody talks about that, but in day-to-day reality, there's financial things that, that, that really over, you know, you just can't ignore but in those opening months and really throughout the pandemic with our board support we just said we're not going to focus on that you know we've built reserves we're going to just focus on taking care of our patients and take care of each other and ironically um and i just think this is a blessing ironically uh the numbers have taken care of themselves mm. um you know we've actually gotten financially stronger as we made the pivot around COVID. And so we've re- replenished our, uh, our reserves and that kind of thing. But, um, and and really had the ability to do some things early on. For instance, we had, um, we had even been bigger before, uh, before our current size. Uh, and we spun off a a large organization that was part of Centerstone. And in doing so, we had to trimmed down some of our shared services. And we had gone through really an unprecedented layoff. We don't like to lay off people. We very rarely, I, can't, I can can't—I think of twice in our, my career where we've laid anybody off where there wasn't sort of a place to move them when that position went away. But this was the biggest one. And um, when COVID happened, it had not been that long ago that we had had to do the layoff and give people those announcements. And we brought anybody that wasn't working at the time uh, we brought them back in. Uh, we didn't want them out there looking for work in the midst of this pandemic. We didn't want them to be without insurance during this pandemic. So we just we just pulled them back. Um, and I felt like I had the permission and support from our boards to do that because, again, all of us were saying, "Let's take care of each other. Let's take care of our staff. Let's take care of our uh, our, our consumers." And uh, we will deal with whatever we have to deal with as we get past that. So that was. I will tell you that was um, difficult times. Uh, we, we were constantly dealing with no good decisions, <laughs> you know, no good options, I would yeah. say. There was, a, there was an epidemiologist that I heard speak that said, We're in a period where there's no good options, only good decisions. And so that's where we, we were trying to make good decisions, knowing there were no perfect options. And, um, and so, you know, when you're out there in unknown territory, Trying to make decisions, trying to support others making decisions, knowing that there's no, there's no playbook. There's not really where you can go back and go, well, the last three times that we did this, here's how we handled it. Um, was was a bit unsettling for everybody, but I tell you, I I felt more connected, more alive than than I have in, in memory, and our staff did too. We did a, um, we used McLean. Uh, employee engagement surveys and you know before COVID we got right where their average was I wish I could tell you we were always just glowing and all that <laughs> but really we were right where the average was in terms of staff engagement and um, our engagement scores uh, doubled post-COVID and during I mean during that obviously we're still during it but doubled. didn't just go up by 10% or 20% they just doubled so really, twice where we were, twice where the industry, broader industry of the McLean um, uh, ecosystem is, and uh, and I think some of that was just the fact that we were all just being very um, present with each other, mm. very, um, uh, gosh, authentic. I think, you know, I think we started every conversation, no matter what we were doing, going recognizing. We didn't know the answers on this. So we're going to, we're going to make decisions. We're going to make decisions together. And we were going to deal with the, whatever the consequences were of those decisions together. Long rambling answer to your, to your question, Tom.
0: Not, not at all. Not rambling at all. is fascinating. And, you know, there's so much in what you said that we could, we could uh, explore, um, you know, under, underneath all of that, what I hear is a depth of relationships you know there's no surprise this this podcast is called the culture eats everything because we happen to believe that culture does eat everything it's it's the ultimate um, power you know it's the the ultimate differentiator for organizations and I think a lot of what you just spoke about is is that that because you spent so much time building a strong culture building a strong team that you actually were able to launch into this uncharted territory and produce you know phenomenal results double engagement you talked about actually improving your financial uh your situation which is amazing um and on and on and on just all as a result of uh this this deep work so maybe talk a little bit about that talk about you know what is what does leadership mean to you what does culture mean to you
1: well, well. First of all, um, you and Brad over the years have been—I just want to say—have been enormously helpful to me personally to so many members of our team. Um, but I'm—I'm going to go to a, a little. Uh, I know I know you're a runner. I'm, I used to be a runner before I got to this age, and my feet started bothering me. But um, you know, I—I I think about uh, you know when you run a marathon, which I'm not going to be an expert about that. I've actually run one run, not one run one marathon <laughs> and I suspect it is going to remain the only marathon I've ever ran. but um, you know you can you can train, you can work on the logistics of your running, you can work on the logistics of your pacing. you can think about where the water stations are and what you're going to, you know what you're going to hydrate and how and how you're going to you know use the, the energy pouches and so forth. But none of that matters. That's sort of your strategy for how you're going to get through the race. Mm. But none of that matters if you haven't been, if you haven't taken care of your body. There's no amount of planning and stuff like that that's going to get you through a marathon without taking care of your body. And that, that's, that's true of an organization. I don't care what your plan is. If you don't have a healthy organization, then you can have the best plan in the world and you're not going to execute on it. Um, and again, we don't ex- I, I don't want anybody on this podcast to think that, you know, we're, we're this just sort of magic team, this dream team that, you know, just because we're so connected, we execute on everything and we're, we're everywhere we want to be. We're not. We, we've got plans and aspirations to get to something that, that we're not, we've not been able to attain and maybe we never obtain. But, but the fact of the matter is that we do work on how healthy the organization is. And how healthy is are the teams at every level? Um, and it starts with alignment. It starts with people that uh, share values. You know, I mean, when we've done partnerships with organizations that share our values, that goes really well. We've had some times when we've shared, when we've done partnerships with organizations where there is an alignment of values. There's not. And it doesn't go well. I don't care how you plan and how much you look at the spreadsheets and so forth. It does not go well. Um, so, uh, so it is the values to begin with. And then it's alignment around vision. And you all helped us work around this. You know, as a leader, my vision only accounts for so much. And it's not a shared vision just because I've talked to people about the vision. <laughs> it's a shared vision if it's their vision. And, and that's a two-way street. So we spend a lot of time, as I'm sure most people on a podcast do, talking with other members of the organization, not just the people that are your direct reports and not just the people that are in leadership, but talking to folks, sharing your vision and hearing about theirs. So um, it, it, starts, it starts there. And then, and then beyond that, it's about all the other things you talk about, communications. It's about recognizing You know, first time I ever heard the term breakdown applied to in a positive way was with Brad so many years ago. But, you know, it is about being able to acknowledge those and not not do that in a blaming way, but in a transparent way going, I'm at a place where what I always do doesn't work. So how do you create an organization where where that works that way? And um, and that's never perfect. You know, I mean, that's the other thing is it's never perfect. We got human beings together. The more human beings you got together, you know, just the less perfect it is. And um, so, you know, it's a constant journey to recognize the humanity in each person that you work with. Um, Work towards continuing to understand where the common elements of each person's vision is and how can we strengthen that and where we have differences in vision that we can respect and where those differences actually need to be really worked through right so um i'm lucky in so many respects tom and one of them is i i am uh, i don't really care how we get there you know i uh, i it's, there's a good thing there are people that work with my team that really care about the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm able to, I've always been able to just sort of let go of that because I'm not very good at it anyway. And that's not like I'm this, you know, fabulous leader. I mean, it's just, you know, I, uh, I've just never been great at, at managing the process. But as long as I see that we're making progress to the goals that I know we all share, then I I really can let go of how I think it needs to be done most of the time.
0: <laughs> so. Well, for many leaders out there, especially young ones, myself included, you know, it was uh, it was sort of reinforced, right? I rose up through the ranks because I was really good at getting stuff done and it was my way. And I think for a lot of leaders, that's a really hard lesson to incorporate. You say it with ease, like, you know, I don't really care how it gets done as so long as it it gets done by good people. But what would what advice would you give to to leaders who are sort of hanging on, you know, and, and want to control every little thing, or maybe not every little thing, but, you know, want to be really involved in the how?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we actually, we, we do um, a series for our new CEOs at Centerstone. Just the, the way our structure is, we have multiple Centerstone companies, and we have CEOs that are part of of my team and, and Kevin's team, uh, our chief operating officer. So those CEOs are part of our team and they're accountable to us uh, in direct line as well as direct line to our uh, our affiliated boards. So we've had in recent years, new CEOs, uh, people that are first time CEOs. And so we've we spent a lot of time on this. And, um, you know, one is just helping people see that, um, uh, the people that we that we've moved into these roles do understand they don't have to be the smartest person in the room, and that you know that having surrounding themselves with really brilliant people is not a threat but a gift. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when you surround yourself with really smart people, as all of our CEOs have, then you know you 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 want to harness their intelligence and their decision making and all that. So our 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 new CEOs get that they're not new to leadership, it's not their first leadership position, and part of why they've been recognized is and, and elevated is because they do lead very engaged teams and effective teams, right? So we don't have to so much do that, but we have to say is you know you're dealing with a board for the first time, and mm-hmm. the tendency is to want to feel like you have to prove to them you have all the answers, mm-hmm. you know you have to prove to them that you're perfect, and the reality is you don't. That with with um, with boards now they've got a I'll come back to this. in our system, those first time CEOs have a safety net under them, and that's Kevin and myself and and others around the organization. So, you know if uh, if they're dealing with a board issue, which thank goodness they've not, but if they were dealing with a board issue that was somewhat difficult, uh, they're not alone in that. Mm-hmm. So they can kind of they can kind of relax a little bit, but but there is a tendency, and I was certainly there. I was my first time CEO. I was, you know, early thirties and felt like I had to have the answers to everything. And you got to remember, this is a guy that's never embraced perfection. Never. (laughs) We're not, we're not on a first name basis. And, um, and so, uh, but you know, the, the sense of, I had to be, that I had to have all the answers that everything in this organization had to run perfectly because I was now answering to a group of people that didn't know me the way that maybe, you know, a supervisor before that had, um, you know, I got results before I was a CEO. So whoever I answered to was like, you know, they weren't looking very close because the results were there. But with a board now, I'm front in front of this whole group and I've got to answer. I've got to have the answer to what I felt like. And um, you know, what I've said is what's built trust with my boards is transparency is going, you know, I don't know to answer that one. I don't. I do trust the person that I've got responsible for that. I'll go back and ask. Um, and also, you know, early on, I felt like I had to be the person in the boardroom. and, you know, today I have other members of leadership in the boardroom. I have other people that they talk to. It is perfectly okay for board members to, to get to know other members of the center stone team and family. I'm not threatened by that. Cause they're, you know, I keep telling the board, you know, uh, I, I have people around me that are smarter than me and I'm not blowing smoke. I have people smarter than me. And my gift to you is that they want to work with me and they want to work with each other. That's my gift as a CEO. Not that I'm the smartest person or I've got all the answers because if that's what you're looking for, you got the wrong person. Right. And so I share that with our our new CEOs just to say it does feel scary. It does feel I mean, that's all that's all real in terms of the feelings you have but understand that the way you're going to build this effective board and this effective board relationship is letting go of that. Um, and if you have board members that feel like you've got to be perfect and you've got to have all the answers, call on us. We'll help you through that. We'll help coach you through that and even come in and work with a board around that. But so far, <laughs> it's all been met. I will say our family of boards is great. I, I wish we had more time because maybe someday I'll come back and talk to you about that if you'd like. But the Centerstone family of boards, because um, we have nearly 100 people on our respective boards, and they are all interconnected by multiple board connections and different committees that they all serve on. And um, it's not only the best experience that we do surveys of our boards, the best board experience they've ever had, but it also really creates these healthy board cultures across the Centerstone family. I'll
0: never had I had a... I had a um, a wonderful board president. And he told me, he said, you know, Tom, that that really good board members actually wanna be heard. And it took me a few months probably to really let that in. But what I realized is I was doing exactly what what you talked about. I was 34 when I became CEO and I was so concerned about sort of having all the answers um, and being ready for board meetings with sort of the predetermined agenda and answers that I wasn't terribly interested in what they had to say. Um, it took me years, frankly, to realize. I don't know that I ever really did get that good at it, frankly. I've, I'll, have to, I'll have to have some of them on the podcast to see what they think. Um, but that I didn't didn't have that transparency. I didn't have that willingness to just say, "Look, I don't know," you know, and and to use their intelligence, their collective intelligence, to to make the organization better. So I really. I really love that you said that. And I think that's such an important lesson, especially for young leaders out there, especially for maybe new uh, CEOs to, to let go of that ego, you know, to, to put the organization first, because when you put the organization first, then it's not about you. It's not about you and your right answers. It's about what does the organization need and what are the best possible answers that are out there? Let's get everybody involved here. And that's, 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 that's all in the same direction.
1: That's right. And board members, board members, uh, really good board members want to, as you said, they want to lock shoulders with you and help problem solve. You know, it's, I will say this, uh, it's harder when you're working with a smaller organization's board. Uh, You know, when I started as a CEO, the organization was somewhere around maybe $5 million in revenues, right? Mm -hmm. Five or six million. And I had really, I had, like I do today, I had really high level, uh, people that were on my board. And when you're running, you know, a five or six million dollar organization, there are, you will have board members that think that if they only had the time, they could run that organization themselves, mm-hmm. despite being in a completely different field. Um, and, um, and, and maybe for some of them, that's right. But, you know, as you get a bigger organization, a more complex organization, that mindset changes, not just with a few, but with all of them. And but and then you go through this transition where you go, okay, I'm not necessarily needing the expert advice. You know, small organizations, you might have a board member that's providing free legal care, you know, uh, help or, you know, free accounting or whatever else. When you're small, when you get bigger, now you've got people that you need to be giving you that outside perspective. You need coaches on the board. And again, the work that you all did with me around that was has been transformational in terms of board relationships because, you know, my board members haven't, haven't spent a career doing what I do. Right. And they, they respect that they haven't spent a career doing what I do. But what I say to them is you've spent a career doing what you do Mm -hmm. and you don't have to have all the answers, but I could sure use an outside perspective. I could use your coaching. How do you see this challenge that we're facing? If it were in your industry, how would you think about it? Give me the opportunity to step inside of your head and, and hear how you would think about the situation we're dealing with. And I tell you, that's, that's been very powerful because I have very smart, committed board members. Mm-hmm. Have they run a behavioral health company the size and complexity of Centerstone? No, no. That doesn't. But they've been enormously successful in other areas of their life. And there are things that I can gain from them. Yeah. You know, we no longer ask them to be the legal <laughs> advice or the accounting. You know, I mean, we don't put them on the spot on that stuff. We just want the kind of brains that we do like having attorneys and accounts on the board. We like the way they think. And by the way, you're hearing my granddaughter in the background and I make no apologies for
0: that. Speaking of coaching, right? Um...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's down there giving advice to everybody. We get the best
0: coaching from the little ones, the little minds, the little <laughs> questions, right? Um Well, we're, we're, our time is flying by already. I want to, I do want to touch on the, this idea of coaching as we call it and, and kind of the value that you see there. Um, But also would love to get, you know, a, a book recommendation from you. If there was one book that you would put out there as one that you love for whatever reason, um, you know, what would that be? So maybe, maybe you can share on both those fronts.
1: Okay. So I'm going to start with the, with the books. And they really have nothing, not anything seriously to do with the with the subject at hand. But given that we're going through everything we're going through in this country, um, I'm recommending everybody on both sides of the political party to read um, uh, Utopia for Realists by Rutger Bregman. Um, that's uplifted me in this time. So Utopia for Realists, I've got and I'm having discussion groups with some of my most conservative friends and colleagues, some board members, as well as uh, some of my most uh, sort of progressive uh, liberal uh, friends and, and, and so forth uh, after having, as we in many cases read the book together, but uh, Utopia for Realists. Um, and, uh, you know, something else that during COVID I've, I've gone back and I've been reading, just trying to understand the human condition a little better. Not just because of COVID, but because of everything that we've been going through in the last year. So, um, you know, Sapiens is a, is a really good one. I think everybody ought to have read that book. And I never can remember authors, but it's Yuval Noah Harari, I think is how you pronounce the name. And then here's another one for anybody that's kind of geeky. Uh, and that is Some Assembly Required uh, by Neil Uh, I I think I'm pronouncing uh, Neil's name right, but some assembly required gets you into kind of understanding how we've genetically evolved and, and it has some particular relevance around viruses and the role they've played in the development of, Mm -hmm. of uh, our species. So, um, you know, uh, I think everybody ought to read guns, germs, and steel, read that many times. I think everybody ought to read uh, a short history or brief history of the world by, by Bryson. I think that's a must read, and outliers by and i suspect most of the people on this podcast have read these books the, the books by Malcolm Gladwell and so forth so that that's my books what was the other part of your question <laughs>
0: um the coaching the idea of coaching oh, yeah. the ability to to listen to people and to take in their perspective you know what's the value that you see of being a ceo you know it's it's i think it's frankly hard to to be open to other people's perspectives sometimes. So what's the value you see in creating a coaching? Wow.
1: Again, uh, really crediting you and Brad for this. Um, Remember that I'm not about perfection and also remember that I'm surrounded by people smarter than I am. Right. So, um, the whole coaching concept opened up uh, new capabilities and new benefits to me in multiple directions. So, one was, you know, if you've got people that are working for you that are, that are, you know, that are on your team that are direct reports that are, that are really clearly just brilliant people. Um, before coaching, I felt like if I was, if I was telling them what they could do, how, how, I mean, I basically was all about sharing vision and somehow or another, just as heartbreaking as it was, oftentimes, accepting the results with these really bright, hardworking, capable people. And coaching was like, wait a minute, I don't have to have the answers, but I can have some perspective. I can say, all right, you are at a roadblock. Can I just come in and offer you my perspective? I don't have to be right. And, and, you know, I think it was liberating for them as well. So it wasn't just about leadership conversations and it wasn't just about accountability conversations. It was also about coaching. And for members of my team, we just have conversations on a weekly basis where it's like, okay, what coaching do you need? What coaching do you have for me? Here are some areas that I'd like some coaching from you. So I get coaching from my team members. If there's something that's not working for me, I have people that are committed to my success that I can reach out. They don't have to be right. So we have just a lot more conversations about that nowadays than we ever did before. And it's not been an overnight thing. You know, um, I started working with Brad before I think you guys, long before you all started working together. And, you know, Brad will tell you, it took a while for me to get this whole coaching thing down. Um, and, um, And I'm still getting better at it. But now I have coaching conversations where I get coaching from board members. I get coaching from the people that are part of my team. And I provide coaching to members of my team. It's always invited. It's perfectly okay. I I say this many, many times. If you're not, if you're not wanting the coaching, you can say so. You know, and by the way, we don't do coaching at the same time we do accountability. You know, we just don't do it. Accountability is nothing. Somebody's accountable to me is accountable to me. So we're gonna have accountability conversations and we're gonna talk about, you know, broken promises or stalls and that kind of thing. But but coaching, if you're gonna come to me for coaching, that's not right at the time when you're supposed to come to me with results. Right. But, um, so, you know, we, we just, we keep working at it. And, yeah. um, in some ways it is an unnatural act, <laughs> you know, I mean, we weren't raised in in environments either in the educational system or in our family dynamics that were about having those kinds of conversations, those kinds of coaching conversations. So it is an unnatural act, but it it has made for a healthy organism, a healthier organism.
0: One that has to be an intentionally nurtured. Um, oh
1: my gosh. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's it, Tom. Just intentionally nourished. Yeah. yeah, it is not a, it is not a, you don't arrive at it. You just keep working at it. And all the entropy of the universe is pulling at it. You know, just as just as age is pulling around, pulling at my body Mm -hmm. and I have to be more and more intentional about it. uh, You know, the entropy of the universe is pulling at the threads of your organization and you've got to be intentional. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's a and it's a great gift, frankly. It's it's um, uh, at home life and and the work front, I think for those who intentionally go about, excuse me, nurturing it it becomes a, a great gift for both parties involved, you know, for all parties involved. Um, well, David, uh, we could go on for another two hours. I know that without a doubt, um, but I promise to wrap up on time, not just to you, but to your amazing uh, assistant. So I will do that. I will, I will keep my word, um, but thank you again for the time. And we'll have to get you back on here again to, continue exploring this whole world of leadership and culture and, um, all things, uh, all things related to
1: growth. Thank you, Tom. And just a reminder, Utopia for Realists, if you've not read it, you will be thankful to me if, if y'all have. So thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thank you for all you're doing for, to really advance our field and to really help support the success of just I mean, just so many hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people. I mean, you're you and Tom interface with so many people from around the country. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, David. It's a great gift to do what we do for sure.